0: super talk mississippi media production
1: have you heard all the rave about the new quick grill located inside the be quick chevron on veterans boulevard come visit be quick chevron along with quick grill be quick food Marts, your locally owned hometown convenience store wherever you are
2: howdy howdy it's rhino here and i wanted to say thank you for listening to middays with gerard gibbert here on super talk mississippi
3: Everyone, and welcome to Midday Super Talk, Mississippi. I'm your host, Gerard Gibbert, along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this
2: Friday, y'all.
3: <laughs> we made it. We have made it. I know one thing, I believe my vehicle could be in autonomous mode traveling up I 55. Oxford Friday, Oxford Saturday, Oxford Monday, Tupelo Wednesday, and Oxford again last night. I know it pretty well now. (laughs) But I tell you, the weather and the coloration of the foliage is quite something this time of year. So it's pretty neat. The trace the other day going up to Tupelo, and you know there's stretches when you're traveling there. You're the only vehicle on it, right? Oh, yeah which is pretty cool, especially at 8 o'clock in the morning when I was headed that way for the show for Celebration Village. It's just beautiful. really is. And, of course, the deer are frolicking about. And returning home last night on 55, I I always worry a little bit, having struck two deer in less than a year, on the same road near my house there. Let's just say I'm a little aware. I'm more deer-aware. But, you know, when you're traveling that route, they're all over the side oh, of the yeah. on 55. The good thing is they
2: rarely get out in the interstate. The yeah. bad thing is when they do, it's bad. It's bad.
3: So a friend of mine said you should honk your horn. You ever heard that? Like that spooks them a little bit, keeps them away. I sort of wonder, is it, does it call them to your vehicle?
2: <laughs> and that's the, the issue with honking your horn. Yes, it could alert them that you're coming, but it could also pop off their instinct, and where they'll just turn the opposite direction and run. Well, if they're facing the trees, and you honk your horn, and they turn the opposite direction and run, now they're in front of you.
3: Yeah. Well, I'm certainly no mind reader of deer, but it always looks like they're just randomly traveling. I mean, I guess there's a purpose in their, in their direction, huh? Food, yeah, usually
2: whatever. if they're spooked, they do a 180 and, and get out. Okay.
3: Well. It's just kind of instinctual. I'm happy to report it was uneventful in <laughs> that respect, but I headed up there last night for the good old boys and gals event. And uh, this is a political event that's been held by our good friend Johnny Morgan for quite some time. At his, it's called a barn, and it's and it's out. Uh, just north of Oxford, a bit on highway off of Highway Seven towards Holly Springs, a couple of miles north of town. This it's one of those barns people get married in. S- sorta, yeah. It yeah. could be. Uh, Johnny's got it all decked out, and he, and what's cool is he's got a lot of old political signage and memorabilia. I mean, going back to the Cliff Finch days, which is pretty cool. It's like a museum of Mississippi politics, if you will. But he's always good and gracious to open up his place. Couple of times a year for that. I tell you what, it's what was signaled to me and what crossed my mind last night the official statewide election season is in swing, is the way I put it. The the, uh, now it wasn't a situation where you had multiple candidates speaking, but you did have what I think you'd have to assume are prospective candidates as incumbents, statewide leaders. Governor Reeves, Lieutenant Governor Hoseman, Secretary of State Michael Watson, uh, and Transportation Commissioner for the Northern District, John Caldwell, all spoke. Uh, another individual, I, I was away a bit talking and didn't catch the name, but I think it was um, maybe a candidate for some judge position, some judge ship representing the area was there and of course it's mostly attended by folks in uh, around north Mississippi but oh uh, excuse me forgot about congressman Trent Kelly how could I forget that so and the congressman and I talked a bit he said you know Gerard I need to come on when we have some time to banter I said I'd love I'd love that congressman he said well what about bringing another member on that would be cool wouldn't it oh yeah the congressman another member of congress from another state and I said but we need to schedule it where we can keep you on three segments maybe an entire hour and just especially as we get close to the midterm so I'm gonna talk to our folks I thought that was a good idea by the congressman and that would be kind of fun how many days we got like 17 to election day right this coming Tuesday 17 and some hours this coming Tuesday will mark this coming Tuesday will mark two weeks out correct we go to the polls it ain't looking good for the Democrats the the tide has turned quite a bit. I think they truly expected that the Dobbs case was going to energize their base. And it is true that there was a, a flurry of voter registrations by women who were, who were thought uh, to be most interested in reproductive health care.
2: There was also a flurry of vasectomies. but <laughs>
3: That's true. Of course, yesterday we played video, sound from old Stacey Abrams over there in Georgia, who insisted that we got to be able to abort babies in the womb as a way to combat inflation and the cost of living, right? Uh,
2: As if the stork just magically shows up when you didn't want a baby,
3: and here you go,
0: you got a baby.
3: Jeez. And, and Joe Biden yesterday said, This is why we got to pass the child care credits, right? He's trying to make the case for that. It, it, the Dem- let's be honest. The Democrats' solution to everything is more money, more money, more money. Never do you hear them talk about, and I know I say this a lot on the program, but it, it's got to be said pro growth policies. Never, never talk about expanding the size of the pie. It's always about, how can we cut it up? Take from this group, give it to that group, vote for me, I gave you some money. No, they won't do that. And uh, I'm not sure if we have time. We may have some sound here from Representative Jim Clyburn. You know him, up there in South Carolina. He kind of tacitly admits, you know, when you pour all that money into the economy, it might cause inflation.
0: <laughs> what do you say to people who say, boy... Yeah, but Washington can talk about all these big programs and everything else, but I'm worried about the cost of food. I'm seeing the cost of eggs shoot up, chicken, gasoline, you know, coming now with the the winter, the heating. I mean, these are all concerns that hit very directly to people who may say, you know, what's going on in D.C. doesn't think of us.
1: Well, let me make it very clear. All of us are concerned about these rising costs. And all of us knew this would be the case uh, when we put in place this recovery program. Anytime you put more money uh, into uh, the economy, uh,
3: prices uh, tend to rise. Huh? We knew? We knew? Well, why did you let your president... And every dang person associated with him say, it's transitory, transitory, transitory. No, no, no. Now he's saying, we knew?
2: We so knew. So either he's lying now or they were lying then. And even
3: Johns Hopkins, hardly a bastion of free market conservatism, even they are saying... What we've said here on this program, Rhino, they they, uh, published an article about it. Yeah, we think the American Rescue Plan contributed to inflation uh, to the tune of about half of the CPI. Half! Same thing we said here. Same thing. So now Hopkins is saying it, and you've got Clyburn saying, we knew this! Oh, but it was so important. And Corrine Jean-Pierre goes before the nation on a regular basis. The economy was in free fall. No, it wasn't! It was recovering quite nicely. Just stay the hell out of the way. We got it. The only reason it went into decline anyhow is because you and your control-hungry, obsessed Democrat compadres shut the whole dang thing down. COVID. That's exactly what happened. And when we are
2: now on day 922 of 14 days to
3: stop (laughs) this (laughs) because they don't ever want to end this emergency declaration do they never because it, it it gives them all confers all sorts of power to them such as student loan forgiveness and by the way folks we're talking about this when we come back but you know there was some lawsuits filed by six states six states joined in a lawsuit suit basically asserting that the president does not have the authority and power just with the swipe of a pen To forgive student loans, we'll talk about the results of that case when we return. We're in the Element Wealth Studios. We got our news director here at Super Talk, J.T. Mitchell, at eleven oh five. Jeremy Nelson, partner at Element Wealth, will join us at twelve oh five and try to explain this topsy turvy kangaroo hopping market we got going on. Stay with us.
0: That keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi.
3: bumping us into this segment here come together with one of the most fun bass lines in the world it does sound like I don't know much about playing the bass but I it does sound kind of cool no doubt some people think it's monotonous I
2: always found it fun
3: uh who's playing it there you think would it be it'd be Paul it'd be Paul right yeah yeah with the with his violin bass the left-handed yeah And who's the manufacturer of that? I mean, I don't think anybody ever used that bass until he started. Uh, It it does look like a violin. It resembles a violin, the body of it, right? Hoffner. Hoffner. I wanted to say left something or nothing, left Knopfner or something. Yeah, Hoffner. And so I think I recall reading a story where there's a collector who owns his original Hoffner bass. I'm sure it's been, I don't know. But there's a collector. And back in the old video days, there was um, on MTV and such. There was a video which I think actually had a bubble that discussed that. Back when they used to put the little oh, those pop-up video, pop-up video, yeah, 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 yeah. I think there was a pop bubble. Pop-up video. That was cool. I think it was a bubble that came up. I used to love pop-up video. And was talking about. And I want to say the video was "My Brave Face" was a a Paul tune. Fairly popular, and I think it featured him, as I recall, playing the Hoffner bass. And there was a, a little bubble that came up, and there was a collector, maybe like a Japanese collector or something, that owned his bass. Anyhow, little crazy trivia here on Friday. What the heck? So, the student loan program. Biden, Joe Biden, says with a a wisp of a pen, "Be gone with you, five hundred billion dollars of student loan debt." More helicopter money. Dot, 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 dot. Six states then filed a lawsuit Arkansas, Iowa, Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, and South Carolina, sued the Biden administration, asked the court, US District Court, presided over by Judge Henry Edward Autry, to block the policy from taking effect. Their legal theory was, their premise, that the White House overstepped its authority. Well, hell, that happens every day with a debt forgiveness plan and that it would harm states economically by lessening their tax revenue. Interesting. And affecting state programs that service federal loans. Hmm. i got to think about that. Lessening their tax revenue. Okay. Anyhow... The Biden administration says, no, 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 we have the right to do this under the HEROES. And that, of course, is an all-caps acronym. I can't remember exactly what it stands for, but that act grants the federal government authority to, quote, waive or modify, end quote, student financial assistance programs in response to national emergencies. That's why we're in this perpetual state of emergency. How many days you say it is?
2: Oh, I just made it up off the top of my head, and it's like 900 and something.
3: <laughs> works for me. <laughs> it's been a long dang time, I know that. How long was it supposed to take to bend the curve? Two weeks, right? Two, Just being two weeks. What a joke. What a joke. So, the ruling came out yesterday. The
2: HEROES Act was the Higher Education Relief Opportunities for Students Act of 2003.
3: Oh, jeez. Why don't they just say, free money? Not to be confused
2: with the HEROES Act, the Health and Economic Recovery Omnibus Emergency Solutions Act oh my from
3: 2020. Can we, you've talked about this before, can we dispense with these, these flowery. Blah, 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 <laughs> and this is what it does. <laughs> we, we need Charlie Brown's teachers. <laughs> uh, so, anyhow, the court ruled that, yeah, you can proceed with this. Now, get this folks, how many times have we said here on the program where there is big money, government, government money, there's big waste fraud and abuse. Now comes the Student Loan Relief Package, the website which is falling upon some difficult, <laughs> difficult technical times. You've seen that. It's been crashing, been problematic. You're not shocked. Now look, they'll figure that out. Uh, The developers are back in the rooms, busily coding away to...
2: Government website not working on day one?
4: (laughs) Shocking! (laughs)
2: Oh, Where have we seen that before?
3: (laughs) Only every other time. (laughs) So, you simply, if you are eligible, And the the problem here that I'm about to talk about is, even if you're not eligible, you see where we're going here? You log on to the website, I don't know the URL, Uh, but you complete the application for student loan forgiveness. The site, of course, went live earlier this week. You're probably not surprised to find out it's relatively easy to complete. You just need to provide some basic information, your Social Security number. That's about it.
2: Nope. On on the splash page when you go to it, are you looking for student loan debt relief? (laughs) The Biden-Harris administration is providing up to $20,000 in student loan debt relief (sighs) for eligible borrowers. Apply today, but no later than December thirty-first, 2023. Then it has that little time to complete.
3: About five minutes. No login or documents required. Right easy, convenient, right? Okay, so, you might be surprised or you might not to learn that you do not have to prove your income to be eligible. Just fill it out. We may check that later. That's what they're saying. There's no income verification. And by later, supposedly, this is, this is the narrative that they are floating we might just do some random spot-checking, so be aware of that. We may come after you, and we may just ask you, you need to verify your income for this money we've already sent you. And where's that money now? Gone! Okay, and they come back and say, you're not eligible. Pay up. Huh? I ain't got no money. Okay, see ya. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So now we are learning that of the pandemic relief funds trillions that in a couple of these programs in particular the unemployment benefits and the PPP loans estimates now peg the fraud at about 600 billion 600 billion now this is something I, I would like people to think about I know that folks are rightfully enraged about Ukraine aid. A lot of people are mad about that. And we've learned, I think, Rhino, you did some research, I did too, the vast majority of that is in the form of old military assets. Yeah. Not cash. We're not writing a check. Here, Zelensky. Yeah, it's not
2: pallets of cash loaded on the back of military transport planes and flown in the dead of night. We've seen that before, but... Barack no. Obama. Yeah, this that's not happening in Ukraine.
3: Now, we could argue about whether or not this is appropriate, what the U.S.'s involvement should be. I, I get you. That's, that's a fair subject to debate. But I, I guess, and I heard this a little bit last night, even, at this event I was at. Uh, folks uh, were not happy uh, about that, and I, I understand that, but it's what, like $80 billion, When you count all the assets. And I'm not saying that's nothing, that that's irrelevant, that that's anything we shouldn't be worried about. But there now, I've said many times on this program, there have been estimates from the CBO that the fraud, waste, and abuse, actually the fraud in Medicaid and Medicare is about $80 billion a year. Now they're saying they think it's $200 billion. Why don't we ever talk about that? Why? Why is it that Ukraine gets all the attention? I'm not saying it again. It shouldn't, but you, you know you have limited cycles. You have to do a little triage here. So it, it'd be like if you saw someone lying on the ground, suffering cardiac arrest, and rather than going to address that acute, urgent issue of having a heart attack, you go focus on a scratch on their toe. That's kind of what this is. Again. We got to address it all, but what about this 200 billion a year, year after year, that just goes without anybody ever talking about it? And I have a theory about that. On the Democrat side, I believe when it comes to Medicaid in particular, they look the other way intentionally because they know. And right now, I know you got some experience here. If you started to go after all the uh, the folks involved in that reimbursement reimbursement, you'd have providers dropping out of Medicaid because they can't make it with the normal reimbursement. It's just a broken economic model. Now we got this student loan crap. What do you bet half of that is illegitimate? Unbelievable! Such bad management. You can go bankrupt in business. These guys don't ever pay the price for it. We're coming right back with more J.T. Mitchell at 11:05.
0: with Gerard Gibbert Welcome, welcome to our show on Super Talk Mississippi Okay now, you have a good one
3: and Mel. Grand Funk Railroad Closer to Home from the Closer to Home album. I'm just going to go ahead and say for three guys that only had a lead guitar, a bass, and the drums, they made pretty good music in my view. That was some of my favorite music growing up, middle school, high school. Anyhow, so Thomas and Greenwood, going to go back here. We were talking about The student loan forgiveness, which the court has ruled, is lawful that the president has the authority to sign the order forgiving student loans, as he has done. Uh, That ruling came out yesterday. He says, so what about Amy Comey Barrett? She isn't that conservative of an appointment. Well, Thomas, I'm just going to... Hazard a guess here that there's probably not anyone who would ever be appointed to the bench that would meet your standard of conservatism. That's not saying it's good or bad or, or, or make you a bad guy whatsoever. Please don't uh, misunderstand me there. But I think what you've got to take into consideration, as does every president in appointments... You got to get them through the Senate. You got a hundred people over there that have to vote on those appointments, and she, of course, Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, were tough enough, and uh, so that's the way. That's the way the sausage is made, and and that's the way our founders wanted it to work. I think it's brilliant, honestly. The consent and advice function of the Senate? So, that, that's got to be figured into the equation, honestly. I'm not sure there's anyone with a law degree in the credentials that would rise to the level of conservatism to suit those who are, are really far to the right. It's, it's just tough. And I would also argue and contend that the more you do that, the more you get the Democrats pushing to pack the court, which requires ending the filibuster to do so. And think about how dangerously close we are to that right now. One vote. One vote stands between that nationalization of voting rights, making D.C. a state. I mean, you should go down the list. It's scary. Codifying Roe v. Wade, which the president, we talked about yesterday, says top priority. Top priority. Oblivious. Oblivious to the plight, the financial plight of Americans right now, who poll after poll suggests that that's their top concern. Uh, one I saw. Let's see. Yesterday, if I can get the data here. Fox. This was a Fox News poll, but I've seen some others as well. This is. This was as of yesterday. Actually, it's as of October twelfth. Inflation, eighty-nine percent say they are extremely or very concerned about it. Duh. Crime, seventy-nine. Political division, seventy-four. Russia-Ukraine, seventy-three. Education, seventy-two. Abortion, seventy-one. So, the, I think the polls bear out where Americans stand on what is important to them at this point, And it's their wallets. Always is. Yet the Democrats are working feverishly to overcome those concerns by trying to detract attention elsewhere. And they really thought they were going to hang their hat on this Dobbs case, and, and that that would power their way to victory in the midterms, but it just doesn't seem to be the case. I am feeling better about the Senate. That came up. And, and control of the Senate's going to come down to about five states. Let's talk first about... The three that are very contentious, that must be maintained for the Republicans just to stay level. And that's Wisconsin, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, in some polls, is now being projected as a toss-up. And that's actually quite an improvement, because back in June, that goofy Fetterman was up by eight points. Now that's a toss-up. The one that the Republicans, I think, have the best chance of flipping, if they retain those other three we just listed, is Georgia. And if they flip that, it'd give them a 51 to 49 majority. And then you've got Nevada and Arizona, which are in play. Both of those would, if they went for the Republican candidate, would represent net increases in numbers. So we'll see. I, I feel really good about the House and think that's going to be even better than I did, say, a short month ago. But I don't think we should be surprised as we get closer and folks start thinking about it more and maybe reflect on, you know, is this going well? Is this what I want? I think you're seeing, uh, I think you're seeing the numbers come down more for the Republicans. Uh, something else about the student loan situation, William and Brandon asked, is, is the loan forgiveness taxable? And so the premise of the lawsuit, I had to think through this a minute, but the premise of the lawsuit by these six states, who lost, by the way, was that, hey, you're taking away tax revenue from us. And here's, here's what that means and how that works. It has been deemed that student loan forgiveness... Uh, by the government, it it has been deemed that that is not taxable. And it's because, it's kind of crazy, it's really because uh, that it is, is special and it's done under emergency circumstances, and there's a section in the American Rescue Plan that was voted on and enacted into law that says forgiveness of student debt between 2021 and 2025 does not count as federal taxable income. So the Democrats had the control of the House and the votes in the Senate, and the President signed it. That is a provision of the ARPA. Now, you know, why didn't anybody talk about this, Rhino? Why didn't the Republicans talk about this? Hey, folks, get ready. Next up, the Democrats are going to have this huge student loan forgiveness package. How do we know that? Because they inserted this provision in February 21 in the American Rescue Plan to deem the forgiveness as non-taxable. I mean, that's pretty much a harbinger. It's an indicator. And nobody talked about it. All right, so here's how it works. In some states... Their state tax laws state that the taxability of income aligns with the taxability of income at the federal level. So if it's not taxable for federal purposes, it's not taxable for state purposes in those states. I don't believe that's the case in the state of Mississippi. I think we went through this, Rhino, and when the student loan forgiveness was uh, more top of mind. I think I looked that up. state of Mississippi, believe it is taxable. Because we, our laws do not provide that income is taxable in accordance with federal taxable tax law. So that's what's going on there. But it's a good question, William. At first, when I read it, I, I couldn't figure it out, but had to go do a little research. So Thomas says, who signed the bill that included PPP, which now we know? And we shouldn't be surprised. It was such a huge amount of money in a short period of time. It's just highly vulnerable to irregularities. That amount of money already is just always subject to waste, fraud, and abuse. And so, just as a reminder, I know we've discussed this on the program before, every senator voted for it. Every member of the House, except six, three Republicans, three Democrats, and Donald Trump signed it into law. Now, to me the bigger issue is why don't we have any mechanisms implemented included in these bills to guard against the fraud, the waste, the abuse. We just we have a minimum amount of that. And now with this student loan it just seems ludicrous, absurd to me that you have a requirement that your income has to be below a certain level to qualify yet you don't have any check for that there's no way to determine it there's no uh, there's no provision in process within the application exercise to prove your income you don't like to have to upload your tax returns for example most people bought a house they're familiar with that Hey, we need your tax returns to verify your income or they call your employer or something like that We're stepping aside for a break, another segment, and then J.T. Mitchell coming up at 11.05.
0: Three. (laughs) Properly set all controls before recording. All systems go. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi.
3: Everyone, midday super talk, Mississippi simple minds. That's a great tune, love that tune. You want to feel old? <laughs> yeah, that song's as old as I am. <laughs> yeah, and I remember trying to master the drum licks there, <laughs> which are very good, by the way. That's a cool video. You ever seen the video? Oh, yeah, out there on the hill. That's cool, isn't it? Yeah, you know, so many of those groups. I'm not sure if they're U.K. lads or not, but I know a lot in the 80s were, and they'd make one or two big hits like that, kind of fade away. But Simple Minds was Scottish. Okay, I thought it was U.K., yeah. It's interesting how when the the Scots and the Brits sing, how they, they tend to lose their accent somewhat, huh? Yeah. And it's
2: amazing the, the way the voice works when it comes to singing.
3: It's different, isn't it? I mean,
2: probably the the most eye-opening example is Mel Tillis. Okay, yeah. A man who spent his entire life with a very present stutter that went away pretty much completely while he was singing.
3: Isn't that weird? I, I totally agree. Well, uh, look no further than the Fab Four. I mean, when they're just speaking, what a thick liverpoolish accent, right? I mean, there's different... What do you want to do? Right. And there's different... I don't know. What do you want to do? (laughs) Different dialects, right, within the country. And I know the Liverpool. But wasn't it kind of working class and considered a little less refined, I guess, than... Oh, yeah. Than, you know, say, if you think about...
2: perceived pronunciation. (laughs) Well, I
3: I just think it's kind of... Because they probably look at us, look at all the different accents we have. But this is something that is always fascinating. I mean, does it not seem like when... The English, the Brits, the U.K. folks like simple minds. When when they sing, it, it almost as if they take on more of a southern accent, the way they pronounce, like the eyes, I, you know, like we do here. But well, that's they, because the
2: southern accent, linguistically, is closer to the way Brits used to talk than the way Brits talk now.
3: Okay. Well, I wonder if that has to do with the fact that most of the South was settled. Right? Scottish, Irish, Brits? Oh, yeah. More so than, say, the Northeast, which is more uh, European to the east, right? The Mediterranean nations, Italy, France, etc. Spain. And then you different. got a whole bunch
2: of German people in
3: the Midwest. Well, that's true. Exactly. Who, who, because, who? I mean,
2: pre-World War II, German was the second most spoken language in America.
3: Yeah. Which is, is it not true that of the... Romance languages, it most closely resembles English in terms of the structure. I've heard that for the structure of the syllable.
2: Well, German and English are not romance languages, but, yeah, they're they're both difficult because of the syntax and the grammar. Okay.
3: All right. Yeah, I guess that's right. Yeah, the German, romance languages are based on Latin. Uh, it, Italian. Spanish, Spanish Italian, yeah, Portuguese. Yeah, yeah. Got gotcha. you. Okay. French. Well, we digress a bit, but it's Friday and we can do that. So let's see here. Mike at Oxford says I hunt golf balls at the Country Club of Oxford, and uh, he finds Johnny's golf balls for him. Johnny Morgan, our good friend, <laughs> the yellow balls in particular. So, yeah, the Green- Greenville officer on the ceasefire text line is laid to rest today. Most folks probably aware of that. What a tragedy that is, and in our thoughts and prayers for sure. Appreciate that on the C Spire tax line. My guess is when the Republicans win the House, they will check it out and make a deal out of it. And I think you're probably talking about student loans, you think? Is what is being referred to there? I'm not sure. On the C Spire tax line. You know, I am, I guess my bigger concern is that you just don't hear a lot Coming out of Washington in the way of interest in investigating these programs for all the the money that just slips through the cracks. It's unaccounted for, the waste, the fraud, the abuse. I mean, $8 billion a year in cash goes out uh, illegitimately to fraudulent taxpayers because they file tax returns with... Social Security numbers they've obtained, and they file fabricated tax returns that produce a cash refund to them because of all these goofy credits we have, refundable credits, meaning even if you don't have any tax liability, you don't make enough, or uh, your adjusted gross income is not uh, at the level where it is, is subject to federal income tax, you just get money because of earned income tax credit, and child tax credits, and child care credits, and student loan credits, and energy credits, and all these other credits, 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 and they're refundable, meaning even if you owe zero, and I don't mean in terms of your refund and your reconciliation, I mean you just don't have a taxable income for some reason. They still send you money. It's estimated that's about $8 billion a year. Nobody talks about that. And when we come back, we've got uh, J.T. Mitchell, our news director. There's also some information here on the text about the TANF folks are not happy because I'm not talking about that. But we'll address that. We're
0: coming right back. Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply, to think deeply. and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi.
3: everyone. Hour two of midday's Super Talk Mississippi. We are live in the Element Well Studios on this Friday, y'all. And joining us now, the news director of Super Talk Mississippi News, J.T. Mitchell. J.T., thanks for coming on. Of course, you're right. How are you, man? I'm doing great. So. What sort of events have we had across the state of Mississippi that we should talk about today? Well, I've
4: got a bunch of headlines for you here. We'll see how many we can get through in this segment. All right. Um, But it's good morning. You know, this morning we had Jackson State. uh, They were the hosts of Good Morning America as they continue towards the homecoming game tomorrow against Campbell. You'll love to see it. There's some really good audio that you'll hear on Super Talk News throughout the day from Travis Hunter, Deion Sanders, and such. Yeah. so you're a rock fan. We'll start here. Yeah, you saw yesterday was the 45th anniversary of the Leonard Skinner crash. Yeah, um, really sad, but also out. If anybody out there's listening has never been to that memorial, have you been? I have not. It's fantastic.
3: That's what I heard. State
4: of the art. I think that's the Magnolia uh, Gillsburg exit. Gillsburg. Yep. All right. Let's crank through some of these headlines. Um, so first off, I kinda wanna debunk some erroneous claims that I've been seeing all over social media real quick. You may have talked about this some um, about the C D C and the vaccination COVID nineteen for school children. Yep. A lot of people are claiming the C D C has slash had a plan to mandate this for school children. Not possible. Yep. The CDC cannot do that. Done at the state level. Right. Done at state level, jurisdictions. Federal government cannot, I mean, not the federal agency, the CDC, cannot um, in any way. uh, This past session, lawmakers passed a bill that would not allow the feds to ever step in and say school children in Mississippi have to get the COVID-19 vaccine. Which I'm not sure it was necessary, uh,
3: but nonetheless, it just sort of asserted it. And it
4: kind of seemed like it was one of those instances where the... The disinformation went viral before experts had time to respond. Well, I think the issue is there are some states who, by law, which, by law,
3: adhere to CDC guidance on that. And so it automatically triggers that and adds that to their schedule because they align with the CDC. Mississippi's not one of them.
4: Exactly. And I think there was some miscommunication about... Um, the cdc putting it on their list of the free vaccines for children it's guidance exactly yeah. guidance mm-hmm. uh, there you go so that's debunked mm-hmm. um we'll keep it on the national level for a second uh the applications for student loans student debt relief are now open they went through a little bit a uh, beta testing period mm-hmm. and they're now open. You can find out how to apply on Supertalk.fm. If you make less than a hundred K k, and twenty five K a year, you're eligible for ten thousand um, forgiveness. Forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Twenty thousand Pell Grant recipients. Except we were just talking about they're not
3: checking. there's no <laughs> there's no uh, opportunity, there's no uh, place, if you will, in the application to actually disclose your income, and then prove it. So yeah. that, that what they're saying is, we may come back later and just audit to make sure you
4: were truly eligible. Yeah. Random audits of applicants and it, recipients. That doesn't seem uh, terribly sensible. No. To me, um, one of our last national headlines uh, I don't know if you saw that the Pennsylvania man—he's a prisoner, actually—has been arrested for threatening to kill President Biden, uh, Congressman Benny Thompson, our very own, as well as another U.S. federal court judge. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he sent that letter last week. It was um, Capitol Police had to go in near Benny Thompson's, Representative Thompson's office. Get it? Had a fake white powder. Um, Did see that alluding to anthrax? Yeah. He sent it from prison. He is already in prison. He wrote a letter saying, I'm going to kill you. Uh, To Benny Thompson? To Benny Thompson. And you can read some portions of the letter online, but pretty terrible stuff. Um, So he was already in prison, and he actually escaped from prison back in July and is now awaiting his sentencing date in December, but now has these additional charges of threatening to kill government officials. Bizarre. Yeah, glad everybody's okay, and it was yeah. not really anthrax. Um, bringing it back to state-level, uh, terrible news in Starville with yeah. Sam Westmerland. Yes. Um, my thoughts and prayers are with his family, the whole Mississippi State community. I saw Mike Leach made the right decision yesterday to make practice optional. Um, there's a lot of resources out there uh, if you're struggling with a death near you. Um, It was terrible news. He was two days out from his 19th birthday. Yeah. You know. Um, So thoughts and prayers there. Very sad. No doubt. The daycare workers. Yeah. um, This has garnered a bunch of national attention as well. I saw it on the New York Post this morning. Um, Daily Mail has been running it as well. So that viral video, did you watch it? I Uh, did. It's terrible. It is. The question lingering – so the video was of these workers, or a worker in the Prime video, using a Halloween scream mask to scare children. You can see in the video um, they're running, screaming, crying, hiding, whatnot. And the lingering question over the last couple weeks after this video got released was, yeah, the employees are fired, but are they going to be charged? Yeah. Um, and they have been charged. Okay. What With what exactly? So five individuals involved have been charged with felony child abuse. Hmm. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Yeah. You know, I don't know, man. I just thought, what, who in your right mind does that? I don't get it either. It's like you had a bad day and you want to go take it out on some, some toddlers. Some two-year-olds. Yeah. Ridiculous. And that's not anywhere close to disciplining or teaching no. them anything.
3: No. Um, Of course, everything's on video now, so you're stupid for doing this, because every move you make in an environment like that is going to be captured on video.
4: Yeah, and the one girl who videoed it, she said they've been doing this. I just videoed it today
3: to show you guys. I wouldn't be surprised, uh, and my guess is it's already in place that lots of these daycare facilities have live video. I believe that parents can actually view Yeah. Right. that are online real time, and I'm a little surprised that... And, and they may have it, but this was an individual that actually recorded this yes. incident. Yeah.
4: And she said it wasn't the first time. But, yeah, in mm. a lot of schools, they have it you know, up in the well, corner, sure. and you can tune in as a parent. Just safety yep. concerns. Um, so they're being charged. What else do we got here? Um, what about the governor and yeah, the mayor? That's a little the next, riff there, That's huh? the next point here. <laughs> Man, that some strong wording from Governor Reeves regarding uh, Mayor Lumumba's decision to try to seek the third party water contractor himself. And interesting time to do it as well during the turkey pardoning. Um, but Governor Reeves, he quote unquote said, You know, what happened earlier this week to catch anybody up is the uh, city of Jackson decided to submit its own request for proposals to hire a third party contractor
3: for the water system. For the water yep. system.
4: Don't be confused with the trash system. That's its own different thing, uh, which also has RFPs. But the state is like, well, we've been helping you guys. Uh, It's working now. We would like to be the one to choose a third-party contractor, which I think a lot of people agree with. And we've seen a bunch of finger-pointing from Reeves and Lumumba um, over the handling of the whole thing. But yesterday was some of the strongest wording that I've heard throughout it all. And, it, and it, at the heart of that uh, conflict is procurement. Yeah. It, once
3: again, same thing we've been saying on the programs since this whole thing became uh, uh, such a high-profile issue, is it's all about the broken, corrupt procurement in the city. And so you got the state that's got some 60-page document for procurement of service or for contracting of services, then, without their knowledge, here comes the city, and they're doing their own deal because they want to administer their own procurement to make sure that their buddies get the contracts.
4: Yeah, it's pretty much the same exact RFP, except with who picks. Exactly. Uh, But Reeves said, quote, As long as the state over the last 52 days is doing little things to make sure the water system is operated, that goes back to the Bull Water Notice, the mayor was perfectly fine with it, However, when it comes time to put your thumb on the scale for a contractor, just like he did in the garbage situation, he decided, I mean, not only do I want a seat at the table, but I want to control this. Well,
3: because the governor and the state is essentially encroaching on his cushy gig here, where he can just award it to whomever he wants. We've just discussed this ad nauseum, and until they fix the procurement practices and policies in the city, they're not going to
4: move forward, period. And then Reeves said, you know, this is just an act of total incompetence. No doubt. So now, but now we got the EPA. Right. And as a Jacksonian, I think I speak for the other 170,000 people. It's nice having clean water, <laughs> right? <Duh. laughs> what a novelty, huh? And it just seems like there's so much. I don't know. Right, so, what's the EPA doing? They're, they're, coming after,
3: they're coming after the state,
4: possibly, saying it's your responsibility and you're engaged in racism here? The EPA is, is now looking into the Department of Environmental Quality to see if. They maybe uh, withheld or didn't allow Jackson, majority black city, enough funds to fix the water systems and to maintain the water Spons systems. Funds from what?
3: Okay, right. He state's not uh, <laughs> responsible. It's ridiculous. So okay.
4: Let's just let's just hope we, get, we say this. I feel like every time. Let's just get it figured out. Yeah, I agree. Right. Not I don't good. know what else it takes. Yeah, and the river is low. Yeah, uh, the lowest Burdine told you since 1941. Yeah, we had Paul Hollis on yesterday, and uh, Burdine was on earlier in the week. Yeah,
3: it's it's an issue.
4: And it's going to have some economic impact. It's going to um, have some. It already has safety impact. Yep. There's a lot of stuff going on. On a lighter note, I guess Jerry Lee Lewis, the killer himself, has finally been inducted into the Country Music Hall. I mean, oh, yeah, into cool. the Country Music Hall of Fame. Cool. Um, All right. Big week of football as well. And there's the doors for you. That's right. I always <laughs> appreciate it. Appreciate it, JT. Thanks right, for coming guys. on.
3: We're coming right back in the Element Well Studios. Stay with us.
0: The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling! Hit it. Go play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. On Super Talk, Mississippi
3: welcome back everyone middays Super Talk Mississippi. So, I see. On the C-Spire text line, Dan in Hattiesburg says, That's a fun song to play on the drums. Dan, I guess you're talking about when we played Simple Minds there? Uh, I was just talking about trying to master the licks, and Rhino informed us that was the year he was born, right? Is that right? Was it that
2: one, or was he talking about uh, Closer to
3: Home? Oh, Closer to Home, yeah. Grand Funk, yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Love playing Grandpa. I grew up trying to play the drums to, I think it's Don Brewer was his name, the iconic afro headed drummer. Had a big old white guy, had a big old afro and the mutton chop sideburns, which were popular in the early 70s, and uh, played the Ludwig set. Just had a really solid sort of drum approach. And yeah, that was fun. I agree. Both of those are good to play. The day this puppet took office, says Kyle on the ceasefire text line, I paid a buck thirty-six for a gallon of gas. That same day, he killed the pipeline. You raise gas prices, and you raise everything that normal working people, uh, working families buy. Absolutely everything, he says, and that's certainly true when it comes to diesel, which is the fuel used by uh, vehicles to transport goods and services, and is such a huge input into those costs, and that hadn't come down. So while Biden's out there taking victory laps about the decrease in gas prices since their highs in June, without giving any regard to what they were when he took office in 21, you know, it's again, it's a situation where if you produced financial statements as a public company and you submitted those as part of your regulatory requirements on a quarterly and annual basis to the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC. And they had these comparative data, or any data, that only accounted for and presented part of a period. You go to jail! But the government can do that. Pay no attention to what happened before June. Just look at June now. It's, it is so ludicrous and such a hypocritical double standard. It's its maddening, honestly. So there was another question I'm not sure I can find it here again, uh, Rhino, but there was a question about uh, as far as the student loan forgiveness, the, the mechanics there is the government sending money out to pay the debt off for that purpose, but that money is just in the form of cash payments and the recipient can do whatever the heck they want. That's not how it works. It's Ooh, just man. It, imagine that. Oh yeah, I'm going to pay off my stoop <laughs> with this. No, it's not helicopter money. A fun money. size
2: Snickers would cost twenty dollars. <laughs> That's
3: right. It's just, <laughs> it's just wiping out the liability. Because remember, this only applies to debt which is held. Uh, by the government. So all the government does, is says, come fill out this application. What'd you say? It takes five minutes? Is that what the site says? Yeah, that's
2: what the little splash page says.
3: Okay, five minutes. Here's your Social Security contact information. I don't know what else. I know what's not included is providing your income to verify that you actually meet the income threshold standards. To qualify for the forgiveness that's not From collected. what I
2: understand, you got to put your full name, your
3: social, your phone number, and your email. Okay. And that's pretty much it. Okay, yeah. So they they match that up to the debt the government has on the books. And, and you do tell them your income. I think you tell them that, if I'm not mistaken, because... I, I don't think be...
2: you have to list it. I, I think it's just a little disclaimer at the bottom okay. to where if you are not being truthful in your submission
3: you are subject to blah 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 okay blah. well now that I think about it based on the way the the structure of the forgiveness works you really don't have to they know the debt you owe and so it's just figured into that anyhow so then what happens is that debt held by the government those notes if you will those receivables are just adjusted
2: and I finally got it to come up so I can actually give us <laughs> details. All right, so you fill it out. you got borrower information, first name of initial, last name, former last name is optional, Social Security, date of birth, phone number, email, and then confirm the email, and then you have review and submit the agreement. Okay. By signing this form, you agree with the following statements. One, I request federal student loan debt relief of up to $20,000. If requested, I will provide proof of income to the U.S. Department of Education. I understand that if I fail to do so by March thirty-first, 2024, Or if my income does not qualify, the relief will not be processed. Okay. Number two, I verify that I am an individual named above. Number three, I affirm that one of the following is true. I made less than required income to file federal taxes. I filed as single filer and made less than 125000 I was married, filed my taxes separately, and made less than 125000 I was married, filed my taxes jointly, and made less than 250000 I filed as head of household and made less than 250000 I filed as qualifying widower and made less than 250000
3: Okay, so you don't actually have to provide your income. You just have to attest to it by, by marking one of those selections you just listed, because all of those... Uh, are the income thresholds right. based on your filing status to qualify for the forgiveness. And so that's what they're doing. And you're just signing and saying, yeah, I'm I'm asserting this, right? I'm attesting yeah, to you, my situation. If you have one of those that
2: is that you, what does it say exactly? It says, I affirm that one of the following is true. So if you affirm that one of those is true, you put your first, middle, and last. And then click a little box that says... I certify under penalty of perjury under the laws of the United States oh, of America yeah. that all the information provided
3: <laughs> on this form is true and correct. So then what happens is, after you complete that, the, the system, the Fed, will adjust your outstanding balance accordingly, based on what you qualify for, how much balance you have, et cetera. And then what happens is the payments, student loan debt payments you make to the government, they're then adjusted accordingly. So... If if the amount of forgiveness essentially takes your balance to zero, you got no more student loan payments. If it adjusts it where you still have a balance, then your payment amount is adjusted. That's what happens. But the the big point here, the salient takeaway is you don't have to verify, you just have to check a box and say, Yeah, that's me. I'm married, and I make less than two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Yeah. And how many tax returns are still not finished up for this year? Millions upon millions. Way, way, way behind. And who's going to be doing the double-checking? Nobody. So at some point in the future, they you may get some notice that says, hey, we just need you to show your income. Now, the government has that because they have your tax returns. Now, But that could be dated, and it's just all kinds of anomalies and irregularities that could occur here, but once again, it's a big pot of government money, thus it's subject to waste, fraud, and abuse. Fraud will be the major one of those three in this particular case, I believe. So on the C Spire text line, let's see if I can find it here, yeah. Talk about the $100 million a year the state welfare system was getting. Where was that money going? I said under what program, and the the person texting here said under the TANF, the Temporary Assistance for Needy Families. That's certainly been all over the news here in the state of Mississippi, uh, as there are suggestions of improper use, and some people, of course, have already been arrested, right, for that. I don't know what the status is, but there are parties involved in that. So, okay, we can talk about that, and then it also says all that money lost from the beef plant, Department of Corrections fraud, Mississippi's got enough fraud going on to worry about. Well, well first, I can't recall ever when we condoned any form of fraud whatsoever, at any level. In fact, we've been very critical of it. Um, one thing to keep in mind is the TANF money is federal. And I am being critical of the federal government and its lack of guardrails around all these giveaway programs. This is one of them, honestly. And a lot of this, like TANF, is issued, transferred in the form of blocks to the states, and the states administer, and it is expected that they will do so with integrity. And And the federal government does have the right to come back and review that and audit that.
2: But if you suggest putting in place anything, anything that would be used for verification of need, oh my goodness, you must be racist, you must be
3: sexist, you must hate people! No doubt about it. So I'm not going to apologize for calling out the fact that just in Health care, federal government funded health care, Medicare and Medicaid specifically. I've said many times that's been estimated at 80 billion a year for years. I'm simply saying now there, there are new studies that show that could be as high as two hundred billion dollars a year. I'm not gonna apologize for that. That doesn't mean that a federal program such as TANF Hasn't also experienced waste, fraud, and abuse, and we ought to talk about it. Okay, we don't like it. We condemn it. It's bad. Hope that makes you happy. We have never said we supported that or thought that was good. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studios.
0: Okay, is everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbett on Super Talk Mississippi.
3: Element Well Studios, Super Talk, Mississippi middays on this. Friday, yo. We just heard that. <laughs> Thank God it's Friday. What a crazy but fun movie that was from the discotech era. I'm just looking at
2: the uh, the album, the record, the vinyl, and uh, starring Donna Summer, The Queen of Disco. It's got some sort of uh, Middle Eastern castle with an <laughs> oasis on the front, and you know, all kind of craziness. <laughs>
3: It was one of those movies that had, like, no plot that made any sense. It was about, uh, ostensibly, an aspiring singing artist, right? That being Donna Summer and somebody trying to bust their way up into the disco. It just was one of those movies made at the time where they didn't have to make sense. But the music was pretty good for the disco era, anyhow. (laughs) We appreciate that. Jason and Pearl says, uh, before, before I get to that, uh, Jeff in Grenada, uh, he, he, this is related to the student loan stuff. He says, well, so they will wait until 2024 to issue checks to loan holders, or do they give money to loan company? If it goes to loan company, when would loan holders show the change to the balance? So once again, uh, no checks, Jeff. It only applies to loans held by the federal government, where the lender was the federal government. So it does not apply and does not forgive debt taken out by a borrower for a student loan from a private sector entity, such as a commercial bank. So that's the first thing. So, no checks, no commercial banks, no third-party lenders, only applies to that which is held by the federal government. Which, in fairness, is like
2: 90%.
3: Right. That's right. Very few. Because the federal government took it over, for the most part, during the Obama administration. Uh, So he says, when would the students see the credit? I honestly don't know, and probably, Rhino, on that site you were on, there's somewhere in there. But keep in mind, Jeff, right now, we're still in a period where there's no student loan repayment required, right? That's through the end of the year? It was extended? Okay, it's been extended multiple times. Yeah, it'll start
2: back under the forgiveness provisions as far as percentage of income in your repayment plan, and that starts January one.
3: January one. So this was all in an effort to to try to defer that, if if not cancel it altogether. Because it's I think it's fair to say, Rhino, it's it's been uh, we've been through a period of a couple of years now where those with student debt have become somewhat accustomed to not having to make those payments. You know, and you can still make them. Oh yeah, Um, that's perfectly fine. But a lot of people just said, "Okay, the government says I don't have to pay them back right now." Pausing, therefore, I'm not going to make any payments, and as part of that, no interest is accumulating either. Nothing changes. It's just wherever it started the pause to when it, when the pause expires and payments resume, which is now, and it's been pushed out. And there's even been overlap in this
2: time frame where. They didn't know whether or not it was going to be extended, so hey, you might want to make a payment. Oh, wait, you made a payment, and it got extended, so here's a check for your payment back. If you want to
3: apply it, send it back to us. Exactly right. So, it has been the goal of the Biden administration to essentially totally cancel. And remember, he got a lot of flack from his own party. You didn't go far enough with the 10000 bucks up to 20000 right? Now they were pushing for fifty thousand. Uh, fifty thousand. Liz Warren was really crusading on that, and of course uh, the Democrats in the House, AOC and her bandoleros. So, uh, anyhow, I just want to be clear that I don't know when. It's not the credit. It's all about the payments. I, I think the the goal is to get this done so that when the payments resume in January, all that's been figured in, been baked in, been adjusted. So if you got a $10,000, if you qualify for the $10,000 of forgiveness and your, your loan balance was 10000 or less, you got no payments remaining. When they resume in January, you don't owe anything. You don't have to resume pay. If your balance was more than that, then that, uh, the $10,000 has been deducted from the outstanding balance. And whatever the new balance is will be used to recompute your payment. That's how it works. And, by the way, you're right. There's a new provision that goes back to uh, computing that as a, on the basis of your income as a percentage of your income. And, by the way, it's, is it 20 years? But didn't we figure out that in this package it's been lowered to 10 years? You pay 10 years, and after that, you don't have to pay what's left, right? Yeah. used to be 20, it's been set back to 10.
2: Right. Yeah. And the percentage has been lowered. The percentage of your income.
3: So it's not just the that the balance is being reduced in this forgiveness, but also the the payment program itself has has been recalculated and restructured so that first that your payments generally will be lower since they're based on your income. Second, after you pay ten years, you still got a balance that's wiped out. So there's there's more to come. Is the point it's more than just this this one chunk of ten thousand bucks up to twenty of uh, forgiveness. So Jeff and Granetti says if we delay credit until twenty twenty four then the Republican president could can cancel the whole thing. Let's do that. It ain't gonna happen. Ain't gonna happen. Nobody's ever gonna take welfare away. It just it's never gonna happen. Not as
2: a politician that has to be elected. Correct. It could get struck down at the Supreme Court.
3: That's still out there. But at this point, of course, you got uh, Amy Coney Barrett who wrote the opinion from the Supreme Court. It was, there was two challenges that went to a federal court in the Supreme Court. Supreme Court, they both basically ruled, yeah, he's within his authority to do this. Essentially, so I don't see that happening whatsoever. Uh, but and I, and I know there's there's folks that yeah, Thompson Greenwood says they'll campaign on it. I assume you mean Thomas, they'll campaign on the forgiveness.
2: Or doing away with the forgiveness, because I don't see that being a great
3: campaign promise. I don't either, honestly. If you think about, again, in the presidential elections, if you think about where those are won and lost, which is a handful of counties in about four states, um, and if you think about trying trying to really sway an election by getting young folks to the polls, which maybe typically aren't so interested in voting, you'd get their attention on this. Guarantee you. Oh no, I'm voting for the person that's going to make sure my student debt stays forgiven. So uh, it, you know, it's a political calculation essentially, is what it comes down to. Jason, the old game theory. Yeah, uh, exactly. By the way, Professor Ron Richlack, that uh, whose class I spoke to Monday, he's, he's written some really, uh, really cool uh, pamphlet, if you will. Uh, I'd say it's because it's kind of structured as a as a short. But it's about the Yankees, and uh, you know their use of all that kind of stemming from the Moneyball stuff. Basically, I think the title of his his piece is "Don't Bet Against the Yankees." And of course, they've won more World Championships, right, than any other professional franchise, I believe. And it's just an interesting account of yeah. But the vast majority of those came long before we were keeping all these stats. They did. I agree. But you, you can't discount the fact that they're Babe a Babe Ruth dynasty. and Lou Gehrig never heard of war <laughs> <That's> <laughs> as true. a stat. That's true. Jason and Pearl says, We need a class action lawsuit against this loan Forget We just had it, Jason. That's what we're talking about. It lost. That's that's what we're talking about. Now, the class action lawsuit, I don't know if it would be deemed class action. That's over my legal grade. But it was six states who joined together uh, and combined their forces to, to essentially squawk, protest about this file a camp, a complaint is what it would be called in the legal parlance as an American that paid my student loans off and I had some Pell grants, why am I paying off student loans for a bunch of snowflakes can't get a job I you know I hear you Jason I think that's a common a, a common response and a, co- a common complaint for a whole lot of people I hear you. I do think it's fair, however, right on, to point this out, I know we've done this on the show, how will you pay for that, Jason? Are your taxes going up? No. Uh, Are you going to have to write a check to the person whose loan is being forgiven? No. So, this is the problem, and I'm simply saying this, and I'm not minimizing the concern whatsoever and, and, and. And I'm not really commenting on the the fairness of it. There's a whole lot of government policy. I mean, we could argue that everybody on Medicaid, 740,000 Mississippians receive federal and state-funded, mostly federal-funded health care. You're paying for it. Those who aren't on it, you're technically paying for it. Where have you been? There are 75 million people in this country on Medicaid, free government health care, which costs orders of magnitude more than this does. Orders of magnitude, about $550 billion a year. This is one time. And again, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to defend it. I'm just saying, when are we going to start talking about the stuff that's really dragging us down, and it has been for decades Nobody seems to want to. I don't get it. We do here, and, I, and, I, and we're trying to inform. 500-something billion a year, we're coming right back on Medicaid.
0: Thank you very much. I appreciate it. It's so awesome! Middays with Gerard Gibbard. Come on! Let's get on with the show! Yes. On Super Talk Mississippi.
3: Welcome back, midday super top Mississippi. I just want to reiterate, Rhino. We do not condone any form of fraudulent activity, embezzlement, improper use of public money, period, at any level whatsoever. Just the fact that today we're talking about student loans, and I've talked about this latest report or a new report. That indicates that uh, fraud and abuse in just health care, federal health care programs, mainly Medicaid and Medicare, is now thought to be upwards of $200 billion a year. And historically, it has kind of been thought to be $80 billion, and nobody's ever talked about it or done anything. Just the fact that that doesn't mean that we also do not find waste fraud and abuse at the state level or the local level also abhorrent. We do. I um, we're well aware of the TANF program and the impropriety there. We have talked about those who have uh, are in legal jeopardy, legal trouble as a result of that, and they should, I believe, suffer the the full, consequences of the law, if they broke laws. But we also respect the courts, and we got to let the courts play out the cases. We're fully aware of the suggestions at the allegations, because that's all they are at this point. You can't call them more than that about former Governor Phil Bryan and Brett Favre. We're well aware of that. But they're just allegations. Now, the TANF program it's a bad program, honestly. It's bad in that it's this block grant to the states. If you ever look at the provisions of it and what qualifies for it, it's, it's terribly structured at the federal level. But it, and it's just, it's just brazen welfare. It's just redistribution. Uh, and, and honestly, the amount that goes to an individual household is not a whole lot. But the total amount of the pro, the total scope and size of the program is, is fairly significant. Uh, we don't support, condone, justify, rationalize, give a pass to any of that. But I will say this, and you can hang this on me if you want, but here's my, th- my logic of not really dwelling so much on that and talking a lot about some of these other issues... It's because that situation has been all over the news here in the state of Mississippi. There's plenty and plenty and plenty written and reported on What you don't see anywhere, and what most people are not aware of, is just how much is slipping through the cracks in these giant federal programs that we're all paying for. And so, I try to bring to the table, and I hope you guys are okay with that, something that augments that which is widely talked about. Doesn't mean we don't have concerns about it. Of course we do. And uh, I'm disappointed and and mad, just like you guys are, that we had people operating this program here in the state of Mississippi that were improperly using their phones. We had somebody else earlier that that pointed out uh, the corrections scam, the, the Epps case. Yeah, terrible. And you know why something like that can happen so easily? The procurement policies that I have railed against. Because once again, those services qualify, they were medical services, as exempt from competitive bidding. And so you just had somebody said, yeah, I want him to do that. And it was a whole lot of money. And I'm gonna say it again, until we fix these arcane statutes that allow no-bid procurement of certain services in this state, we're going to still have at least opportunity, ripe opportunity, for waste, fraud, and abuse. Look no further than the rift that's just surfaced the last 24 hours between the governor and the mayor. It's all about procurement. And that's why. Because those policies are broken. They're bad. They are subject to waste, to corruption. It's going on, and it's really pervasive at the county and local level. I encourage all of you, go attend your Board of Supervisors meeting. Watch how they procure. Hey, uh, old Joe over here in the corner, I think you ought to do these services for all in favor, say aye. You think I'm exaggerating. Go witness it yourself, because so much of what's procured not subject to competitive bidding, like the lawyer for the county, the insurance folks, the accountants, engineers, all these services that are exempt. It's been fleecing taxpayers for decades, billions. That's what's got to be addressed. Marion Greenwood says, I know several people who haven't gotten a refund for 2021. Yeah, the IRS, as Rhino said, still behind, still waiting. You know, Mary, what I would suggest to them is figure out a way. To structure your withholding so that you don't have a refund coming to you. Don't let the government use your money all year. Heck, fix that. Adjust it. There's ways of doing that. Go talk to your HR folks. We're coming right back. We got Jeremy Nelson
0: from Element Wealth. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state.
3: Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi, rocking into our three of the program on this Friday, y'all. Joining us now, Jeremy Nelson, partner at Element Wealth. We are, are of course in the Element Wealth studios. Jeremy, thanks for coming on. Always a pleasure. I'm watching the Dow right now, up 580. So before we came, you came on. Uh, I asked you, what's driving it today? Normally, there's something, some news. I don't know exactly. You said you think maybe it's just oversold and money's on the sidelines
1: and getting back in. Yeah, look, I, so or Rhino talks about the kangaroo, yeah. right? Honestly, yeah. up and down, up and down. And you know what we've seen over the past few weeks is you, know, you had a market that was oversold. There is some buyers, you know, who are interested in the market at this level. Not a ton of volume, right? They come in, they buy. Market goes up on on light volume. Then a few people want to sell. It goes back down we're kind of just in that that seesaw right yeah. now where you've got some buyers some sellers you're getting you know a little bit of up and down here uh, but generally we've been kind of hanging around the bottom that we set um, yeah. a few weeks ago yeah and and so
3: uh, the past couple of weeks we've had earnings reports mm-hmm. and they haven't been quite as disappointing as we thought there was some disappointment this morning I believe from snap mm-hmm uh, where they reported ad revenues down, and it fell pre-market. It was down twenty-five percent.
1: Yeah, um, advertising. You know, so if if you think about businesses, right? Um, there's top line, right? You got money coming in. Yeah. And then you've you've got the bottom line, right? Sure. The, the money coming out or or profits, and you know you can control profits if if you're. If revenue is not coming in at, at quite the rate that you want, you can control costs. Well, advertising is one of those things that you can cut back on, it so usually gets cut, a company yeah. like Snap is going to be a little bit more affected, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I was in Atlanta last week. I was meeting with a, a client and a friend of mine that works for Google X, and she was just talking about how there's company-wide cuts on traveling. She's in Atlanta. She's not going to have to fly back. Uh, to California for at least the rest of the year is what they're hmm. telling her.
3: Interesting. So uh, it's a little, uh, um, a little bit of a pivot, shall we say? In mm-hmm. that, I, I think we went through a period, especially with the infusion of all the money into the economy, where uh, a lot of companies maybe got a little complacent. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're spending money uh, probably didn't need to or mm-hmm. maybe wouldn't if uh, revenues were down and and uh, there was some stress placed yeah. on uh, the company. And you were just saying before we came on the air, maybe sometimes this is can be a silver lining in that it forces companies to get a little bit more efficient.
1: Yeah, I, I think, you know, I don't want to be the one that says recessions are a good thing. Recessions mm-hmm. are not a good thing. Sure, sure. Um, but in business, you know, when you go through a downturn it creates opportunity to eliminate fat and become uh, a a better business longer term. Yeah. So to to that degree, you know, it is it is necessary every once in a while uh, as we go through down cycles. Where you're able to, you know, kind of go in, cut some of the fat out of the business, and ultimately you come out a leaner and better business. No doubt about it. And and so,
3: but the concern, of course, that
1: we would have in the
3: from an investment perspective, and in just an overall mm-hmm. economic perspective, is is how that might uh, affect capital investment. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been a believer um, as a, sitting in that chair and having to make those decisions is faith, confidence, and certainty. Mm-hmm. That drives investment, expansion, hiring. yeah, And when you don't really have that, at least for some period of time, you tend to just hunker down and say, "We're just going to kind of stay put here and maybe even reverse some some plans
1: as a result?" I, and I think that that's what you're seeing in corporate America today yeah. is uh, you know, there's not a lot of businesses that are losing money now right. But there's question marks about the un- uncertainty going forward. So I was talking with a, a client recently who um, does uh, air compressors, you know, big industrial ones, and they were saying, "Look, we're just not we're not inventorying as much as we were because we're concerned we don't want to get stuck with it." And they had to inventory a lot because of the supply chain issues. So they were yep. taking whatever they could get. They'd have inventory. They're not doing that. Um, the The longer that businesses stay in that mode of paralysis though right, where they don't have confidence to commit capital, then the risk of a bigger recession looms yeah right so that and and the the number one thing that everyone is hinging on today is the rate of inflation uh, you know everyone's kind of waiting to see you know are these numbers going to come down, yeah. Well, and speaking of
3: which, we, we, uh, we've we been watching Federal Reserve policy with a great deal of interest, mm-hmm. and of course they, they keep raising rates, and we had some sell-off last week when we got CPI, mm-hmm. and it, it uh, actually trickled up a little bit, yep. um, and so that is thought by investors to be a strong uh, justification on the part of the Fed to continue with the aggressive trend. I think now we're... The, the, Prognosticators are saying a hundred percent chance of three quarters of a
1: point in November, but that's not going to be it. No, um, I mean if, if you look, we've seen the two-year now tick up towards that four and a half percent yeah. range, right? Two, six months, four and a half. Um, yeah, we saw we saw the ten-year today hit a, a fourteen-year high. We're pushing four and a quarter percent Gosh. there. Um, so rates rates are ticking up, uh, factoring this in. Now, I will say I was on, on a call with one of the major asset managers recently, and uh, one of their, their the head of credit for this firm, uh, at one of their due diligence trips, had said that he would bet his bonus check that in a year from now, the 10-year will be lower.
3: Really? Mm-hmm. Well, that would be good news for the mortgage industry and the credit industry yeah. in general from a consumption perspective, yeah. certainly. But but,
1: uh, but the thing that's got to happen there is the inflation has to come down. And, and some of it is because people are starting to bake a little bit more of a recession case in for next year. And, okay. and They think, think a pivot is in the works. And I, I think, you know, we talked about this uh, a while ago, but you know our, our, our forecast is that you do get recessionary pressures as you get towards the latter part of next year. Yeah. Right? That's, that's where we see the rubber meeting the road. My concern,
3: and want to get your thoughts on this, is that we we've seen rate increases, but we've seen no abatement of inflation thus far. And essentially, the only tool, for the most part, the Fed has is is uh, to to monkey with rates, essentially. And you got the president who says, "Oh, this inflation thing, I'm out. The Fed, Jay Powell's going to handle that." Well, that's not working. And you've seen a couple of presidents this week say, "Yeah, so far we've raised rates. We don't see any any adjustment to inflation." We got to have some fiscal policy changes.
1: Well, yeah. So on, on the inflation front, if you if you're looking forward, right, and you look at what's happening in the housing market. Um, uh, so you and I were both at an event where the analyst from the from the Atlanta, Atlanta fan, Fed was there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great, great job. Did a great job speaking. Sure did. Yeah. And remember, he talked about the the layers of the onion with yeah. inflation, right? And yeah. I thought that was a good analogy. I did too. And he talked about you know on the outside you've got the transitory costs, right? You've got the um, commodity prices, those sorts of things. Then you get into the the supply chain issues, and then you get into inflation expectations at the core and people making decisions, right, boots on the ground. Yeah. And so what you if if you kind of look forward, um, the transitory costs have gotten better. Supply chains still not great because China's zero COVID policy. Yep. So companies are having to adjust, reset up uh, some of their supply chains in other parts of, of of Asia because it's still cheaper to do that than it is to build. It takes in time and money, though. So it takes time and money to do that. And then from an inflation expectations, you know, corporations aren't spending the money, right? So if you look forward Aside from the supply chain issues, there's a lot of reason to think that these numbers are going to be coming down. uh, That we are peaking, and that was kind of the message that he had in that speech. Um, So that inflation is peaking, will come down. But the caveat to that is, we're not going to get back down to the you know two percent target even next year. I don't think. And and, we have, you know, we've been a little surprised. That CPI has stayed as high as it has. Yeah, we really thought fourth quarter was where we'd we'd peak in the summer, and we'd see it coming down in the back half of the year. Seems like it's probably peaking now, and we'll start coming down in the, later this year in first quarter.
3: My concern is that the, this government, this administration, is totally relying on monetary policy as the tool. To uh, address this inflation issue, and I'm just not sure if that's going to do it. They're always focused on demand.
1: You got to stop. You've got to stop handing out money.
3: I know. I agree. We're going to take a break right here. We've got Jeremy Nelson, partner at Element Wealth. We're in the Element Wealth studios. Stay with us. Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi in the Element Wealth Studios. Go to myelementwealth.com or call six zero one nine five seven six zero zero six to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income growth and guarantees. Jeremy Nelson, the partner at uh, Element Wealth, in the studio. So. Let's talk about real-world stuff, uh, Jeremy, and I know we, we discussed this whenever you're on, and I think rightfully so. Folks are looking at their their nest eggs, so a lot of folks that are approaching retirement, mm-hmm. and they've been saving their entire lives, their entire careers, putting money away for for that day. They're seeing the finish line, and they're saying, you know, I'm, I'm worried. I, I don't think I've got enough mm-hmm. to make it, and I'm going to have to keep working and uh, postponing my planned retirement. Are you are you hearing? You've seen a lot of that.
1: Yeah. So actually, here's an interesting case. So we had a prospect that came in and met with us uh, last year. Okay. Was looking at retiring at the end of this year, and so we built his financial plan. Now this was based off of our expected returns going forward, which were low because fixed income yields were so low. Yeah. Well. He continued to handle it through his 401k, and he came back in a couple weeks ago, and he had 20% less money, which a lot of people are facing right now. I updated the balances. I increased our expected return to reflect the higher interest rate environment that bonds will yield. His plan was actually better. Okay. So, it might not be as bad as you think it is because on a forward-looking basis, right, your returns are going to be higher because bonds, which will make up a larger portion of your portfolio when you're retired, are going to yield more. Um, But that being said, it is really, really important that you kind of go through that process and look and see, well, what are the expectations that are built into our plans? And we had been really cautious on what our expected returns were because we saw a stock market that was you know overvalued to, a, to a, a certain degree we saw interest rates that were really really low and you kinda knew that rates had to go up at some point you know not the, I mean we did not expect rates to go up faster than any time in recorded history yeah. but you knew that they were gonna go up so yeah. you kinda had to bake that in so I think if if people are looking at retirement you just need to really sit down, figure out what, what are my income sources going to be, Social Security, pensions, other things, um, You know, how much do I have, what are my expenses, and then what are my expected returns going forward. Uh, and if you map it out, you, you might actually see that you're still okay. Yeah, so that's a good
3: point because uh, we, we have experienced for the last several years an environment where there was just minimum income opportunity for, mm-hmm. from low-risk uh, income-producing securities. Yeah, certainly couldn't do anything with T-bills, yep. uh, you had some corporate-grade bonds, you got dividends. Uh, but yeah, those have ticked up. When you got six
1: month now, you could roll yeah. money
3: out of equities if you wanted to get on the sidelines for a while. And in six month, get four
1: and a half percent. Yeah. So our our place to hide out on fixed income had been shorter duration high yield. Yeah. And we were at least getting five percent there. <laughs> well, you could pretty much get that in a two year treasury now. Yeah. Right. Uh, so you don't even have to take as much risk in your in your portfolio. Uh, To get the yield in there. I mean, high yields now yielding close to 10%. Yeah. If you factor in, you know, 2.5% for default, right, that's more than during the financial crisis. You're still at seven and a half percent. That's a good point. Yeah, we hadn't we hadn't seen that in a while. No, the ability to, to produce that kind of income. So, so I think you know the 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 offset to seeing the declines in our portfolio is that actually the opportunity set of what we can do going forward is significantly better. You're seeing a lot of stocks now that are yielding four, four and a half, five percent. You know, companies that have have histories of of growing those dividends too we've been running uh... analysis for some of our income investors and, and our income is now higher yes market values are down but the actual income that we're generating for them to live on is actually higher than it was.
3: And that's a great point, because I think a lot of people maybe are, are looking at their nest eggs and not really going through that exercise, but are rather thinking about, you know, I, I'm not going to put this money at risk, I'm just going to draw out of mm-hmm. it to live, and maybe not considering uh, making an investment with that. And they've got to be careful, it's because they're, uh, they're that's their source of income. So yeah. you're not going to be as interested in, in risky uh, positions. but uh, and, and the problem was in the past, well, okay, you're not going to invest on, on, uh, in some risk assets, but if you invest in low-risk assets, you can't make any income off of it. But now you can, and that's the
1: yep. point. Yeah, I mean, you can literally have a very conservative to moderate portfolio and have – you know, very high levels of, of yield. I mean over four and five percent now. Yeah. So just just the income on the portfolio to support your retirement yeah. is, is significant.
3: And not subject uh, to the volatility of equity investing.
1: Now, as as we're learning, right, bonds bonds have a level of volatility they, they as well. They do. Uh, you know, but
3: short-term is a little better yeah. from a risk perspective, yeah. and you get decent returns on that.
1: But there, I, I will say this. There will be a time where you're going to want to lock in some of this duration, have some sure. longer-term bonds, and lock in those coupon rates.
3: And that's what your firm does, essentially, is, is. is help with that uh, those imaginations. It's, it's complicated. And, and full disclosure, I think I've said it before, I, I'm a satisfied client of uh, Element Wealth. Uh, Jeremy has uh, managed my portfolio quite expertly. But you and I were just talking about it not long ago. Our, because of uh, the increase in rates, mm-hmm. which has propped up income-producing assets, uh, our income, is is up yeah. as a result of that? Yeah.
1: Without increasing our principal, we yeah.
3: just got we're just producing more income yeah. on an annual basis.
1: Yeah, we've seen dividends go up. We're seeing bonds that are maturing, reinvesting at higher interest rates. We're producing more income than we started. Yeah, and so that's kind of the silver lining of the interest rates is that while if you're borrowing money, it certainly
3: costs more, but if you're investing money in fixed income securities, you can produce more income. A- absolutely,
1: and. and you know, I, I had someone ask me this question at a, a parent's uh, event uh, for my kid's school, and they said, you know, kind of, what's what's the key to, you know, being successful in retirement investing? And I said, don't get used to, don't get attached to what you've got, right? Yeah. Because it's floating every day. And I, and I don't mean to say that tongue-in-cheek, but... You, you have to really understand what you own and why you own it and what it's producing and have a long-term plan because if you if you make emotional decisions during times like right now then you're gonna hurt yourself and when this market comes back it's going to come back rapidly. Yeah. And when market and, and when interest rates drop, right? if you were sitting in cash or all short-term assets, well you're not going to get any appreciation on your bonds. Yeah. So you've got to be really intelligent. And that's why we always talk about the concept of building income growth and guarantees. And if you've got those three legs of the stool, then your plan can withhold whatever comes at it.
3: Yeah, it makes sense. We should also point out, for the benefit of our audience, uh, Federal Treasury uh, bills, notes, bonds are not subject to state income tax. Correct. Uh, municipal bonds; mm-hmm. those would be that would be debt instruments sold by municipalities, mm-hmm. are not subject to federal or state. Correct. Yep. But generally,
1: the yields on those are a little lower. They're lower. And and actually, right now I ran this analysis the other day. I was looking at um, corporate investment grade versus municipal. And even at the highest tax rates corporates are actually attractive now yeah. relative to, to um, but you know you still got to pay the tax yeah. but the net yield you're going to get is actually higher than muni's right now
3: well that may drive up muni uh, returns yep.
1: somewhat to yep. be competitive right yep.
3: so out, out in the marketplace all right so everybody's out there Jeremy all the uh, e- economists and analysts trying to pick a bottom. And, you know, every day you see the bottom fall out, and then you see a, a little uh, uh, revitalization <laughs> the mm-hmm. next day we're in the green, and everybody says, well, this may be the bottom. And then the next person says, no, we still got more to go. That's why, what does, what uh, was it Milton Friedman say, that's why economists have two hands, because you yeah. always have to say, well, on the other hand. Yeah. <laughs> so you tr- care to hazard a guest in your professional opinion, where we are on that?
1: Well, from a stock market perspective, here's here's the interesting thing. If you look at midterm election years, you tend to rally through the midterm election and into the end of the year. Okay. Right. So if, if, if I was saying based on the seasonal trends and assuming that we get a divided government and I think that's why this market's bouncing up and down right now. The yeah. market's kind of looking to see: Are we going to get this divided government and we're getting that everyone's closer to, expecting closer to that reality? We're only a couple weeks away from yeah. the midterms, right? Yeah. And so the market's just kind of seesawing here. I think if you get if if you get a, a divided government, you're going to see the market rally higher through the end of the year.
3: Huh? Okay. I know you, you've said that every time you come on. You've been very consistent, mm-hmm. and I know you've done a lot of research on this, and you've, you've uh, reviewed h- historically yep. how that's always worked out. And yep. so you believe that history is uh, is instructive on this, and.
1: We've, we've yeah, and we've kind of become complacent. We know the Fed's aggressive, and they're going, and that's priced in the market. It's not like it's a big secret anymore. Yeah, they expect it. Yeah,
3: Jeremy, appreciate you coming on. Always enjoy your insight. Appreciate y'all. Thank you. you. We're coming right back on middays. We're in the Element Wealth Studios. Stay with us. You in the Element Well Studios. Avenue, Twilight Concert Series is back, and on Saturday, Blues Traveler and Government Mule will be at the Renaissance at Colony Park in Ridgeland. You can get tickets now at Ticketmaster.com or at TwilightMS.com. I rode through there this morning en route to the studio and saw them setting everything up. Looks like it's going to be pretty cool. Also today on In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, You'll hear an interview with legendary TV host and fisherman Bill Dance. Who could forget that guy, always with the Tennessee hat on out, right?
2: He might have a few snarky things to say about <laughs> current events in college football.
3: Gosh, could he ever? In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar is presented by VisitMississippi.org. You can hear the show each Thursday and Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. on most Supertalk Mississippi stations, Supertalk.fm and available everywhere you listen to podcasts. And then next week the Gallow Show will be at the Mississippi Coliseum in Jackson next Thursday for the annual Mississippi Economic Council Hobnob. This is the biggest gathering for movers, shakers, and playmakers from across the state. It's the number one gathering place for networking with statewide political and business leaders. For more info about this year's Hobnob or to register, go to mec.ms. Looking forward to that. My understanding is the governor is going to kick it off, be the first speaker next week. Uh, so someone sent me a message and said I did not mention the name of the person we just had on the program. That would be Jeremy N- during the midst of the interview. I apologize for that. Jeremy Nelson, he is a partner at Element Wealth. They are, of course... The sponsor of the studios here on middays. We are live from the Element Wealth Studios five days a week. Sometimes we take the studios on the road, like we did this past Wednesday, but we're pleased to have Element Wealth as the sponsor of middays. 957 6006, area code 601, of course. Jeremy, uh, partner there, and uh, he is the guy, honestly that is uh, heavily involved in their clients' uh, portfolio management. And he does does a great job. He's done a great job, uh, certainly for me. I'm very pleased and did want to pass that on. Jeremy Nelson does a great job. Lee Yancey also, Representative Lee Yancey. He is employed by Element Wealth, and he's kind of responsible for fetching in new accounts, is what he does as well. Jeremy is a very bright guy. Does a, does a good job, and you can tell from his interviews, he knows what he's doing. We're fortunate to have uh, them in the state of Mississippi and have Jeremy uh, providing those services. And It was good to hear that even though you look at your, your, your nest eggs, your 401k accounts, your savings, etc., yeah, most people have experienced a, a decline in those values, and the overall value of the account. The good news is, as Jeremy points out, you got interest rates up, which makes the cost of borrowing more expensive, but if you're looking to retire, most people aren't, generally aren't borrowing at that phase of their life too much, not significantly, but rather concerned about uh, their nest egg producing income on which to live. And so the good news there is, without taking a lot of risk, you can invest in, in securities that are, are producing higher levels of income just because interest rates are up. Just take U.S. Treasury bonds as an example. I mean, they were you know, less than 1% a couple of years ago, and now they're approaching 5%. So it's all oh, that's good. Uh, but appreciate Jeremy coming on. Thomas in Greenwood says, so the market likes gridlock and inaction. Yeah, it does, Thomas. And, and here's something I think that is worth pointing out. I wouldn't expect a whole lot of positive policy coming out of Washington given uh, a situation where the Republicans uh, ascend to take control of the House and even the Senate because you still got the President, you still got the White House, you still got a Democrat in the White House that's likely not to align and sign off on as if uh, to enact legislation that might pass through the House and the Senate. But what they can do, Thomas, is stop bad legislation from being passed, such as massive tax increases, which are next. If the Democrats were to retain control in, in this, uh, the coming back end of the Biden term, four-year term, no doubt, they've already said it, they intend to increase taxes and again, I point out that the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, enacted in 2017 under President Trump, is on the chopping block. And the individual cuts, the individual reductions uh, provided for in that uh, particular law are all scheduled to expire at the end of 2025. And that's going to be uh, in focus in the, next, in the next cycle, the next uh, Congress and, um, and under the next president. And the Democrats have already said they want those to expire. They they want to increase taxes. That means the rank-and-file middle class is going to pay more taxes. But what they're likely to do is cut taxes even more for them and increase taxes on those dirty, greedy, selfish, evil, wicked, rich people. And they're going to say, enough. We ain't doing it anymore. I mean, that's that's where we're headed. But they never... Met a tax increase they didn't like. That is for sure. So, yeah, it is true, Thomas. Gridlock is considered as, whew, take a breath for a while. They can't push any more garbage at us. And uh, and so that is uh, perceived as and, and considered by the investment community to be positive. They just feel like, yeah, government gets in there and they screw things up. What I'd like to see is Representative McCarthy likely the Speaker of the House in waiting. Should the Republicans take the House, which looks like a very strong possibility, he's already said that the debt ceiling is going to come into play. And and, and what that means is that you guys know that through these continuing resolutions and votes they have to increase the debt ceiling as necessary to continue to fund government, including. Uh, mandatory spending, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, et cetera, which comprises 70%, and our debt interest combines combines to uh, about 70% of total spending, we got to increase the debt ceiling because those costs keep rising. Uh, and so McCarthy said that he intends to have a serious debate about that and maybe even look at bringing everybody together to talk about, let's figure out a way to cut some spending here so as to not require increasing the debt ceiling. I know this has been a a common grievance expressed by conservatives. I've heard it a lot in this state that people complain and get mad because even our delegation, oh, they voted to increase the debt ceiling. So McCarthy has said that. Of course, what the left is saying is what Joe Biden, even as recent as the last week or so, has said. The Republicans want to end Social Security and Medicare just because they want to talk about these programs are not solvent, and they're headed for total collapse if we don't do something, right? So the Republicans have floated the idea, we discussed this a couple of days ago, of possibly increasing the retirement ages and the eligibility ages for those programs. The Democrats, on the other hand, simply want to raise taxes... Uh, Social Security, Medicare taxes on those dirty, greedy, uh, rich people. That's uh, always their plan. Oh, no, no, no. We've got to keep spending the same amount of money, but we can just go extract that from uh, certain members of certain income levels in the population and just let them foot the bill. It's crazy because we're we're moving rapidly to a point where a handful of households in this country fund the entire dang apparatus of government. The, uh, look at IRS data. Nearly 60% of households last year paid no federal income taxes. So it's already being funded by the income taxes paid by 40%. If the Democrats had their way, it'd be 10%. 90% pay nothing. Bad model. Doesn't work. No skin in the game. So, we'll see where all that goes, but you're going to see a battle royale telling you if McCarthy does make the debt ceiling a major issue to debate. Just something to think about. Uh, let's see. There was something else. Okay, so I got the name. Yeah, Tom's agree with this. Cool, maybe I'll look into this whole market thing, laugh out loud. Do you foresee Joe... win both. Dan and Hattiesburg asked. yeah, of course, I think he's going to try to do everything he can with uh, executive orders, but let's be honest and fair about that. So do Republican presidents, and that's because you just can't get the environment, the the uh, the makeup in the House and the Senate with 60 senators on board for a lot of this legislation as required to reform it or pass it, such as Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. Can't Almost can't touch it. Without that, so you end up with this bipartisan infrastructure bill and the CHIPS Act because it got Republicans to sign on, and I think that was a mistake. I, I think those were all bad votes, in my view. Final segment coming up on Middays. Stay with us.
0: You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi.
3: Back everyone, midday super talk Mississippi. Thank you so much for joining us on this Friday, y'all. So Mike and says this is not the first time I've been messed up by Uncle Sam. All student debt for my wife and daughter, are private banks, so I get to pay for theirs and everybody else's. Why would I ever vote for any Democrat? On another note, the Supreme Court will only get more communistic with liberal people teaching it. Yeah. I hear you, Mike. I don't. Josh and the Delta says I don't mind paying or forgiving student loans for those people that have a low-paying job that can pay can't can't pay them back. For example, a teacher. Well, who's who makes the call there, though, Josh, on who can pay it back and who can't? Uh, so, so the difficult thing about this really, it, this is really what it all boils down to. What is the role of government? What it, that's the central issue because and the question at hand what's the role of government because if you look at the vast majority of government it's just one big redistribution apparatus so you got money coming in for people that goes to other people you got a a producer class a payment class and a recipient class it's all about what's the role of government and so as we have expanded government all kind of got started back in 1935, honestly, when we created Social Security. Then in the 60s, with Medicare and Medicaid. <laughs> now those programs, 60% of spending. Defense, which I think I would submit is a core function of government. I mean, if nothing else, could we at least agree, across the board, that keeping us safe and defending the nation, and keeping us safe at a local level, is a core function of government. I believe it is. I I believe that is. A core function of government. Now, we could get off on all kinds of tangents as to whether or not the private sector or some alternative approach should be employed to defense. But when you start getting into so-called safety net programs in the multitude of other programs, like TANF that we've been talking about, is that a core function of government? Because somebody's going to benefit and somebody's going to pay. Student loan forgiveness, it only affects people with student loans that are owed to the government. So everybody that is not impacted, does not receive some benefit from that, says, well, I'm paying for it. And so we did have somebody here says, well, a nobody on Medicare signed a contract agreement to pay it back. B, student loan issue is, is new. Medicare is years old. So I just want to point out, I didn't say Medicare. I said Medicaid. Medicare, you're paying into, you're essentially paying into the insurance program so that when you, Uh, uh, enroll in it, you receive benefits from it. Now, I know, and I've talked about it, it's a pay-as-you-go program. What you're paying in is just paying for the expenses going out at the time you're paying it in. It's a pay-as-you-go program. And then you do pay a small premium for Part A, and there's other parts to it as well. But Medicaid, that's just brazen welfare. That is health care coverage for people who pay nothing. And I simply made the point that while we're talking about student loans, because there's people who benefit, people who don't, I'm simply saying that you're paying income taxes if you're one of the 50% plus of the households, or less than 50% of the households in America that pays income taxes. Those income taxes are funding Medicaid. Other people's health care. And that calls into question, what is the role of government? And that could launch... A protracted debate on uh, the virtue, the value, and and just the validity, the legitimacy of Medicaid as a government program. And then you get into the nuances of Medicaid expansion, which is a hot topic here in Mississippi, because we're one of the states that hasn't, one of the 12 that hasn't. So that's all I'm saying. And I hear you, you signed a contract to pay it back, and now the government's forgiving it, but honestly any lender has the right even in the private sector to just say, you know what, today you only, (laughs) we're going to just wipe out that debt and cancel that debt. The question is, is this the role of government and should the president be authorized to, with the swipe of a pen, say, be gone with you debt? It's complicated. And I'm not trying to simplify it so much. I'm just trying to point out that we got lots of other money that goes out the window every single day that goes to some people who benefit and other people are paying for it. But the bigger issue that I've tried to point out today is all the waste and the fraud and the abuse. It is massive and it's fleecing us all. But we're out of time here on the program. We thank you so much for joining us back in the Element Well Studios on a Monday. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone.